If you have your Bibles, would you please go with me to the book of Job? Specifically, you can start in Job 3. We're just cooking right along in this book. Third message, Job 3. But guess what? We're going to cover approximately 34 to 35 chapters today. So I know it's Father's Day. Hopefully you don't have any plans for lunch. But to recap a little bit of the last couple of weeks, the very first message I gave in this series walked us through Job 1 and 2, understanding that there is a curse called sin and there's a very real enemy that is Satan and his demonic army and they are out to get us. They want to destroy us. And in the midst of that, there was a court uh, room type setting where Satan comes in and he wants to start testing Job. And, and so this permission is given by God and all these things start to happen in Job's life. He loses all this stuff, his, his wealth and the livestock and, and your wealth was in your livestock at that time frame. And he loses his kids and, and yet Job remained uh, faithful to the Lord. And then he has another situation. He gets boils all over his skin and, and he's inflicted with all this pain. Yet in the midst of that, Job does not curse God and he is able to withstand uh, the test. And in the midst of that, I mentioned that there's this ministry of presence and that three friends showed up in Job chapter 2, right at the end of that chapter. And they didn't say anything to Job for seven days. They were just present. They were with him. There's a ministry of presence that we can be for those in our lives that might be struggling. And these men were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they show up and they are just being good friends. And I commend them for that. Um, I will say this shifts... It shifts in a way that all of a sudden the ministry of presence becomes this ministry of pathetic because these guys start opening up their mouth and then they begin to say things. Now Job's the first one to speak and then there's this response and they're going back and forth and these guys would be, again, these three friends. But then there's this fourth friend, Elihu, that at some point in the conversations here, he shows up. And he has something to say as well. And these conversations, they contain some accurate theological statements, but there's also places where their statements are completely misapplied. Okay? They think they've got it figured out why Job is going through all these very difficult things. It gets to the point where they actually begin to wound the man while he's down. Just kicking him, like a, as if, well, here's your problem. You're just a schmuck, and you, you are sinning, and you need to get these things figured out, and, and this is why you're suffering, and, and they're just wounding him even more, and they're throwing accusations at Job, and it seems that what Job has to do in this conversation is actually start defending himself. And so he's like responding to them at all these accusations. And so I'll just walk you through the order here. But in Job 3, he responds after the seven days of the friends there sitting with him. And Job begins to speak. And when he gets done speaking, this friend Eliphaz, he speaks in Job 4 through 5. And then Job responds to that. 
defending himself and walking through the the circumstances. And so in Job 6 and 7, he's now speaking. And then this friend Bildad jumps in in Job 8. Again, not helpful dialogue. And um, then Job 9 through 10, Job responds. And then in Job 11, this third friend, Zophar, speaks. And I will say, when he kept his mouth shut, it was Zophar, so good. But then... He opened his mouth, and it was not good. And again, Job's defending himself in Job 12 through 14. And then we get a repeat of those three friends. It says Eliphaz speaks in chapter 15. Job responds in 16 and 17. Bildad speaks in chapter 18. Job responds in 19. Zophar opens his mouth again. In Job 20, Job responds in Job 21, and then this cycle repeats again. And Job responds to Zophar, Eliphaz speaks in Job 22, Job responds to that for two chapters, 23 and 24, then Bildad speaks again in Job 25, and then Zophar doesn't say anything. What's happening through this is actually the responses that these guys are, are working through, they're getting shorter and shorter as they're going on. And it gets to the point, it's so short in the fact that Zophar is like, I, for whatever reason, he was done. He was done throwing this at Job. He says nothing. And then this fourth friend, who's like the youngest out of all of them, and he kind of comes in, and not only does he zing Job, but he zings the other friends. Basically, like, I was waiting until I could bring some wisdom into the equation, right? And I was trying to honor these guys because they're older than me, but here's actually what is going on. And Elihu missed the mark. He begins to throw out things that are not accurate, but in Job 32 through 37, you hear from this man named Elihu. And at the end of this message, I am going to elevate something that Elihu says that I cannot emphasize enough. In fact, it might be my favorite part of the book of Job. And so we'll get to that as we go. As I mentioned in week one, the book of Job is filled with all kinds of questions. And one of the primary questions that they're wrestling with is why do bad things happen to good people? Job was a good guy. Why is all this happening? And they didn't realize what was actually going on in the spiritual realm. And so they're trying to dial up all of these reasons as to why Job is going through what he's going through. And so that's kind of the primary question they're wrestling with. And we worked through that in week one. But there's another question that I want to sit on today that I'm going to draw out from their conversations. And it's this question. Why do evil people prosper? Why does it seem like evil people are succeeding in life when there is good people who are struggling? Hey, we'll work through uh, that particular question. And before we get into the scriptures and some of their conversations, I'm going to just draw out different truths that I see from their conversation that I think are encouraging for all of us when we go through difficult things. And so as we walk through the scriptures together, we want to just... Ask the Lord to settle our hearts and get ready to receive from his word. So would you pray with me before we begin? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that we're going to spend here in the inspired word of God. You speak to us. 
You direct us, you guide us, you lead us through your word. And I pray that, Lord, your word would bring a transformation in each of our lives by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we lift this time to you. We also ask for a blessing upon our children's ministry. Bless their time spent in the word, learning about Jesus. Pray that you'd anoint that ministry today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know I had you kicked to Job 3, but I'm going to have you go a little bit with me to Job 24. With that question in mind, why do evil people prosper? I look to a couple of things that take place in Job 24 and 25. Job points this out in Job 24, verse 13. He says, Wicked people rebel against the light, and they refuse to acknowledge its ways or stay in its paths. Now jump to verse 19, and also 22 through 24. This is Job speaking again. He says, The grave consumes sinners just as drought and heat Consume snow. God in his power drags away the rich. They may rise high, but they have no assurance of life. They may be allowed to live in security, but God is always watching them. And though they are great now, in a moment they will be gone like all others, cut off like heads of grain. So you can see there's kind of a level playing field when it comes to people being in the hands of God. And it might seem like someone may have a lot more success than you, and you're going, they're not even acknowledging the Lord, and look how successful they are. Well, guess what? Don't worry about that. God, it says God is watching them more than you are watching them. And so we can trust that God will, in his way, Make things right. Well, in Job 25, you talk about leveling the playing field. Job 25, this is Bildad speaking, verses 2 through 6. He says, God is powerful and dreadful. He enforces peace in the heavens. Who is able to count his heavenly army? Doesn't his light shine on the earth? And then here's his question that I think really levels it out. How can a mortal be innocent before God? Can anyone born of a woman be pure? And that's not a shot at women, okay? That's a shot at us and our sinful human nature. How can we possibly be pure as humans. God is more glorious than the moon. He shines brighter than the stars. In comparison, people are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. Okay, so that kind of levels it out, right? So whether they're good or they're bad, we're all sinners. That's an interesting perspective. So when we start saying, well, why is it that evil people prosper... Think about your own life and that God has redeemed you out of your life of sin. So wait a second. That means that you were evil and and you prospered. 
Why are we weighing things out in material terms? Let's think about this spiritually. While I was in opposition to God, his grace met me and I prospered. So let's start with that. I also see a statement here that this fourth friend who just showed up at some point, the younger one, and he makes this statement in Job 33, verse 9. We'll get to Job 34 in a second. But I need to insert this here when we talk about a level playing field and that we're all sinners in need of the grace of God. Elihu says something to Job that is truth. Job 33, verse 9. Job is, uh, is being spoken to by Elihu, and Elihu just basically is repeating what he heard Job said. Verse 9, he said to, to Job, he goes, you said this. You said, I am pure. He goes, you said, I am without sin. And then he says, you said, I am innocent and I have no guilt. I also know that the Bible says that none of us can say that we're without sin. And so here Job is claiming to say, I, I don't have any sin and I know what he's trying to say in the midst of that is, I have been a God-fearing man, but he's also loading this up. And, and, and when we start saying, well, uh, there's really good people and then there's really evil people, and yet there's this balance of why are they prospering while they're suffering, and, and God, why don't you just make this right? Well, we start at the playing field of you already have a more prosperous life in the fact that you've received Jesus Christ into your life. Be grateful for that, first and foremost. But with all these other things and circumstances of life are happening, we do ask that question. Why does it seem like they're succeeding? And that is where we hear Elihu speak truth. Go back to Job 34, and it's this statement that God is a just God. Starting in verse 10 of Job 34, Elihu says, listen to me, you who have understanding. Everyone knows that God doesn't sin. The Almighty can do no wrong. He repays people according to their deeds. He treats people as they deserve. Truly, God will not do wrong. The Almighty will not twist justice. So as we walk here on this earth, and it might seem like some things are unfair or imbalanced or, or whatever, understand and know that there's a judgment that is coming for all of us. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a judgment that is coming. And God will right every wrong. And he will repay people according to their deeds. And as Elihu continues to speak over the next couple of chapters, Job 35 verse 14, he says, You say you can't see him, Job. But he will bring justice if you will only wait. And so for us, we want things to happen right now, but God might actually be working something out 
in the meantime. Job 36, verse 7. Elihu says that God never takes his eyes off the innocent, but he sets them on thrones with kings and exalts them forever. So if we're going to have that question be resolved in our own life right here and right now, we have to understand that maybe there's something coming that will settle all of the things that seem unfair. You know, there's a psalm from Asaph, Psalm 73. You hear this heartbeat from, from the writer of, of Psalm 73, and I, I just want to emphasize some of this. He says, truly God is good to those whose hearts are pure. He says, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And then in verse 3, he says, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. So even this psalmist is like, God, what is the deal? Why are these people around me, people that would even be like my enemies and your enemies, why are they prospering? Verse 4, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and they're strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. Verse 7, these fat cats have everything their hearts could wish for. Laying the complaint out before the Lord. Verse 9, they boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. Verse 11, they ask this question, what does God know? Yet they're prospering. They're like mocking the Lord. And they say, does the Most High even know what's happening? Verse 12, look at these wicked people enjoying ease while their riches are multiplying. And he says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me Pain, And then here's the psalmist confessing that they're wrestling with this question as to why evil people prosper. He says, so I try to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task that is. So instead of comparing our circumstances with other people, perhaps we should just settle in on a heart of gratitude for the good things that God has placed in our lives, even when we're going through things that maybe don't exactly feel good. I need to continue through this psalm because as he's wrestling with this, in verse 21, he, he comes to his senses. He says, Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I'm all torn up inside. Then in verse 25, I mean, when you really think about your life, here's what he says. Whom have I in heaven but you, God? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me... How good it is to be near to God. And I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that God does. So instead of focusing on all the problems 
and your frustration as to the circumstance and comparing those things, the psalmist says, you know what? I'm just going to set all that aside, and I'm going to start talking about how good God is. And so we go to the Lord with that perspective. I want to pause here just for a moment. We're still in this dialogue between Job and his friends. But in Job 29, verse 16, Job talks about how he was a father to the poor and he assisted strangers when they were in need of help. And in chapter 31, verse 18, he says, From childhood I have cared for orphans like a father, and all of my life I have cared for widows. I just thought with today, being Father's Day, Let's be like Job. Let us be people who care for the poor, for the orphan, for the widows. Let us be like Job and be a father to those kinds of people. Be someone who shows that compassion. All right, come back with me now. So while all these things are going on in life, and they can be very, very difficult, I want to just point out the importance of maintaining altitude. Hey, we're flying right along in life and circumstances can get us and we can go south pretty fast. Okay, But I love how when Job is defending himself, there's an applicable truth here, not only for his life, but for all of us when we go through very difficult things. Job 27, verses 3 through 4 specifically, he says, As long as I live, while I have breath from God, my lips will speak no evil, and my tongue will speak no lies." I will never concede that you are right. He's talking to his friends. He says, I will defend my integrity until I die. Now, there's a couple things that I think we can look at this. He's, he's defending his integrity with his friends, but he's also saying no matter how difficult the circumstances may get in this life, I'm resolving right now that I'm not going to get bitter and angry at God and go down a path that's going to lead to destruction. You know, because things didn't go my way, then I'm going, well, then whatever, God. Because you don't care for me, you don't love me, because my circumstances are difficult, we get a bad attitude. But he tells his friends in verses 5 and 6, I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear for as long as I live. Now he's telling them, I'm not going to budge on the fact that I'm innocent. But I also think what we can pull from that is as we go through things that are tough, can we be like Job and say, I'm going to maintain godly character as I go through these difficult things? Are you going to maintain altitude when you go through the hardships? Another way to say this is protect yourself from the devil getting a foothold. In your life, Ephesians 4 talks about that. Don't let Satan get a foothold. Well, if you start to get upset and angry and bitter about your circumstances and you give Satan that foothold, you just create this firestorm. And Satan just keeps throwing more fuel and wood onto that fire. And it's like people begin to make these destructive decisions, and then there's this snowball effect. And they can actually probably point all the way back to this moment where they were wounded by a circumstance and they got bitter and angry and you can go through the years and they're like, how in the world did I get here? Well, it actually, 
it kind of all started back here when you were angry, maybe even angry at God. See how the enemy uses that. And a bad attitude can cause the loss of altitude. And while this is very difficult, I also feel like this is helpful. That a man like Job who feared God and had such a reverence for God, as really difficult things were happening in his life, you see him get very vulnerable. And we see Job at the lowest of lows, losing altitude here in Job 3 and also in Job 30. Satan can get the best of us. And he got the best of Job. In Job chapter 3, he was the first one to speak open up the dialogue with his friends, and he says, let the day of my birth be erased. Verse 7, let that night be childless. Verse 11, why wasn't I born dead? Verse 26, says, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, only trouble comes. And then, In chapter 30, starting in verse 16, he says, And now my life seeps away. Depression haunts my days. This is a godly man. And he is just at the lowest of lows. He says, I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, and you don't even look. Now remember, God's eyes are watching. But this is how he feels. He's laying it out there, and he says, My heart is troubled, in verse 27. Days of suffering torment me. And so it's helpful to see that this man of God is even struggling with the circumstances that he is going through. But here is where Job gets it right, and it's in Job 16. There's a very clear picture of the gospel When Job says this in Job 16, verses 19 through 22. Job 16, 19 through 22, he says, Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is there on high. My friends scorn me, but I pour out my tears to God. I need someone to mediate between God and me as a person mediates between friends. For soon I must go down that road from which I will never return. How prophetic is that statement right there? I need an advocate from on high. I need a mediator between God and me. Do you see the gospel in those words? Jesus is our advocate. He is the mediator. And when Jesus left this earth to go sit at the right hand of the Father, he says, I am going to send my spirit, the counselor. And he also called the spirit the advocate and called the spirit a mediator. And so we know that through Christ and the Holy Spirit, that no matter what it is that we're walking through, we have somebody that is advocating for us. And so think of that mindset when we're angry about our circumstances and we go, God doesn't care. Whoa, stop the car. The scripture says you have an advocate. 
who is at work even in the midst of the difficulty. But Satan wants us to think that we've been abandoned. But we're not. Christ is here to help us. Then you get this absolute exclamation point of a statement. Our verse for the week, Job 19, 25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And it goes on to say that after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. He's speaking Easter right here. He's talking about the resurrection of this advocate, this mediator. And I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. And I am overwhelmed at the thought. I, I hang on to those kinds of verses. Because even as Job has lost all of this stuff and his friends are kicking him while he's down. The spirit of God is speaking to him the victory that he has even in the midst of trial. And so I close with this huge right hook. Remember I said the friends basically had it wrong? This is the one moment where I'm like, I could just be like, Elihu, that's fantastic. Elihu got it wrong quite a bit, but then in verse 22 of Job 36 Here's how he finishes things out with Job. And it's almost like he sets up God speaking in Job 38, which we'll cover that next week. That's kind of how this book closes, is God gets the last word here. But Elihu, it's like he introduces the Lord to come and speak. And he absolutely nails it, starting in verse 22, chapter 36. He's talking to Job. Look. God is all-powerful. Who is a teacher like him? Verse 23, no one can tell him what to do or what to say to him or even say you've done wrong. Verse 24, instead, glorify his mighty works, singing songs of praise. Verse 26, look, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted Verse 30, see how he spreads the lightning around him and how it lights up the depths of the sea. Verse 33, the thunder announces his presence. The storm announces his indignant anger. Then we jump to chapter 37 and verse 1. He says, my heart pounds as I think about this. It trembles within me. He's talking about his big God, and he's given this to Job. He says, listen carefully to the thunder of God's voice as it rolls from his mouth. It rolls across the heavens, and his lightning flashes in every direction. Then comes the roaring of the thunder, the tremendous voice of his majesty. He does not restrain it when he speaks. God's voice is glorious in thunder. We can't even imagine the greatness of his power. Verse 14, pay attention to this, Job. Stop and consider the wonderful miracles of God. And then verses 15 and 16, do you know how God controls the storm and causes the lightning to flash from his clouds? Do you understand how he moves the clouds with wonderful perfection and skill? Stop the car. God is in control of the storm and he knows how to control it in a perfect way 
Verse 22, he says, So also golden splendor comes from the mountain of God. He is clothed in dazzling splendor. We cannot imagine the power of the Almighty. But even though he is just and righteous, he does not destroy us. Verse 24, no wonder people everywhere fear him. All who are wise show him reverence. Elihu made a really big deal out of God. And I'm telling you right now, when it's a situation like these friends had, they had an opportunity to be an encouragement to Job, and they all kicked him in the face. But Elihu, I think, somewhat redeems himself right here. He should have just done this from the outset. Job, I know you're going through it, and I know you're frustrated, but let's just take a moment to talk about how big God is. I don't necessarily know why you're struggling, and I'm not going to sit here and theorize all these theological things that, well, maybe you're struggling because you are a sinner and all that stuff. Maybe just keep that part out of it and just say, God is faithful. He has not left you. There is hope. There is victory, and recognize that. Keep the right perspective, Job. When we make our problems bigger than our God, then we've got a really big problem. And Elihu, I think, gets the right perspective at the very end. And like I said, it introduces the Lord speaking in chapter 38. We make a big deal out of God, and Job had a perspective that there's something coming in the future. He prophetically spoke about a mediator, about Christ, and having that hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And that hope in the resurrection of Jesus, and it goes even more so than that, is that we're going to have a place in heaven forever with our God. And the, the pain and the suffering and the struggle that we all have, there's a day where that's going to be gone. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. I am going to set things right. And there will be a day where you won't have to experience this curse of sin. And in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. We don't walk around like, how was your week? Oh, that's, oh, okay, see you next week. Yeah. No, we have an expectation, an anticipation that God is up to something even when we are going through the worst. And it says we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. That's good stuff. And so in light of that, Peter says this in verse 6, So, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. I mean, in light of eternity, our life, no matter how many years you get on this earth, it's a speed bump. Bloop. And it's over. In light of eternity, consider 
your struggles. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And so I add one more of our verse. This is the verse for this week, Job 23, verse 10. But God knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. God knows the way that you take. And when you go through tests, keep the faith. God is doing something in you. And you'll come forth as gold. And Elihu said something to Job. If you're reading right through, you might miss this. But in Job 36, 16... He says, God is leading you away from danger, Job, to a place free from distress. He is setting your table with the best food. When I read that, I thought of Romans 8, 28. That God causes everything to work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that God is setting your table with the best food? And we might taste some of that food here on this side of heaven, but know that there's even better food that is waiting for those who are in Christ. This is the hope we have. And Job could see this hope. Even though they were getting it wrong in a variety of other places, this conversation does bring out some things that can encourage us as we walk out our spiritual journey. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray in closing here today. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you in response to these conversations that Job was having with his friends. They were trying to figure life out and all the answers. And Lord, in the midst of that, as we go through difficult things, we can know that you are always at work. And that you are mediating, you're interceding on our behalf. And that we have hope as we walk through the difficulties of life because we serve a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is power in his resurrection. We know that our Redeemer lives. And that makes all the difference when we go through trials. And may we come forth as gold when we're tested through circumstances. Lord, as I talk about the need for a mediator, it's possible there's someone listening right now that they've not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They don't have this advocate, they don't have this mediator. They don't have this hope, this victory. But if there's something that was said here today that that God is causing you to, to say, I want that in my life, then I want to encourage you to pray with me to receive Christ into your life. Simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. 
I realize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So I'm asking today that you would cover me with your righteousness. That you'd forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. And bring victory and hope and joy and life-giving power into my life, into my circumstances, right here and right now. Today, I receive you by grace through faith. Thank you for this gift of salvation. And Lord, for all of us listening right now, we ask that you would help us to be people that are filled with joy. And no matter what we go through, we know that there is victory and hope in Christ. Help us to maintain altitude when we go through the things that are frustrating, giving you praise, honor, and glory, and thanksgiving all the way through. And may that be a testimony to those around us that they can look to you and also have that kind of joy that cannot be found in anything else under than Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.